podcast run by the graduate students of the English department at NYU. Today, we are discussing the theme of work. We are asking the question, is academic work really work? This is our second episode on this theme. In this episode, Gina and Kim continue their conversation with Pat about work in the academy discussing solidarity with knowledge workers outside the academy, the utopian potential of academic labor, and the economic position of our students' work. If you missed the first half of our conversation, you can find it on our website, electrictext.net. That's electrictexts, all one word, dot net. Where we left off, Pat had just asked a question about teaching versus research. Gina's response suggested that the structures of accountability present in teaching may be absent in research. Here's the tail end of Gina's answer, followed by Pat's reply. You know, you're all of a sudden placed in a world where it, it's structured more like a job, right? Whereas with research, um, you know, you could submit it to a journal. You don't necessarily have to. Um, you could turn your dissertation in a, into a book. You don't necessarily have to. Um, once you're past a certain level, um, a lot of those sort of accountability structures sort of go away. Um, and it becomes all about sort of keeping up with your, with your calling and your colleagues. Yeah? Um, when you mention accountability, that's interesting because that's a kind of um, vertical organization of accountability. You're accountable to your students who do a type of work for you, and then you're accountable to the, as a graduate uh, TA, um, to the professor who's supervising the class, or as a professor, you're accountable in some perhaps vague way to your department and their expectations um, to your uh, university's administrators. But I'm thinking about maybe accountability horizontally, um, and maybe there are other words for that, like affiliation or solidarity. Um, uh, and I'm wondering, um, what your thoughts are uh, uh, on that, because in in if you think horizontally, the part of your work that um, involves research and writing um, seems to me to bear a striking resemblance to other kind of freelance knowledge producers, freelance writers, uh, for instance, um, uh, or other kind of contingent uh, people who produce knowledge but are maybe employed contingently. Uh, uh, museums employ these people. Um, um, is there some kind of strategic benefit in affiliating oneself with um, other, other um, groups of people who are producing knowledge uh, for the public, maybe along really similar lines, and whose, whose work actually maybe does look, does fit a little bit uh, more readily into a, a familiar economic schema. Mm -hmm. No, I think that that's, yeah, absolutely. And um, my, pro my only problem with that is that we aren't doing that enough, in my opinion, that because there does seem, we, we do seem to be stuck in this pipeline 
that there's a very specific way that you move up into the higher ranks of academia, into the tenured, you know, the, you know, the goal, right, the tenured professor spot, um, th th that there's a way to do that. And that way, I think, is so overwhelming at times and so mentally taxing that the types of things that I would like to be doing, like having different affiliations, making my work more accessible to different groups of people, um, reaching out and in solidarity in political and social movements, a lot of that gets put on the back burner, or if it, if it even happens at all. Because when it comes down to it, your line of thinking is towards the job um, as, it's, as it's laid out for you. Um, and so I would say that, yeah, yeah, I think that that would be totally a great thing and totally something that we should be thinking about doing. I just don't see it happening when, you know, we're working over 50 hours a week trying to juggle teaching and, um, and writing a dissertation or getting published or, you know, running around to conferences um, and sort of doing all the legwork to even begin a job. I mean, perhaps that's something that we should sort of think about too is, you know, is there then a, a particularly strict line between, you know, graduate student on the job market and a professor, right? Someone that's, that has a job, right? We call it the job market. But how different we, is it, right? Like that, that's, that's the question then, yeah. When people ask me, People ask me if I'm still in school, and I say I'll always be in school. Um, but that's because I'm stuck in the pipeline. I also think I have uh, an innate snobism that prevents me from reaching out to, like, uh, newspaper book critics. Uh, not that I, I don't know. Not that I ever have the opportunity to. But I, I, I think it's not just that we're overwhelmed with our work, but that um, the Academy... Uh, values its own knowledge production in a way over mm -hmm. other outside forms of knowledge production. So there is a refusal to look outwards um, that's built into the culture of the literary academy, at least. What do you think about that? What do I? I think politically it's bad, but I think I participate in it. Yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> I'm the moderator. <laughs> <laughs> um... No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering, um, um, I guess I'll put what I think about it in the form of a question because I don't have an answer. So I think, like, um, I'm wondering, uh, Kim, your kind of formulation of the university as one possible site where um, uh, we can exist socially um, or even independently in a way that is not perhaps as bluntly or uh, overarchingly circumscribed by um, uh, conditions of late capitalism is it's a it's a compelling and as I said before utopian um, and I think really valuable idea. I'm wondering about that seems, however, to kind of go against this idea. It seems like you're kind of fighting against that idea a little bit in the sense that you're recognizing a problem with the fact that the university values its own 
labor, its own community's labor, in a way that makes it disavow its essential connection to or, or affiliation with um, the labor done by others uh, uh, immediately outside of it. In fact, sometimes kind of half in, half out. There are a lot of uh, academics who are also freelance uh, writers. Um, or, and I think the goal for a lot of academics is um, you know, to have that kind of the knowledge that um, is built in the academy to kind of seep outward into a, lar into a larger cultural consciousness. And, and you know, um, whenever we're pressed to defend our, 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 the value socially of our work, I think Judith Butler is that name that always comes up, right, where we're like, you think gender is constructed? A professor came up with that idea. So that's, in some ways, there's a, there's a, a utopian potential in refusing to integrate the university into a larger um, economic system. But there's also utopian potential in another sense in acknowledging and even uh, expanding on um, the existing connections between uh, the work that's done within the universe so I'm, and then, yeah. and then the, mm -hmm. the work that's done outside of it. Um, and I'm registering both even from within the university. I think it's a kind of... Um, I, so I, I'm wondering what you think about that. Is that a self-defeating <laughs> gesture? Is that what do we do with that pull or those two seemingly oppositional pulls? I think, um, ideally, I don't know how much we can do this, but I think ideally we would want to separate um, the, like, uh, you can't do this at all, but ideally you'd <laughs> want to separate the, like, economic logic of the real world and the, like, uh, social and political discourse of the real world, right? Like, like you would want your ideas to, like, seep out into culture, but not your labor to be governed by the <laughs> culture's <laughs> economic imperatives. Yeah. 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 Well, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I I'm not a total pragmatist. Yeah. Like, I, I, I am <laughs> idealist as well. And I, no, I would love, I would love, you know, academia to be this, this thing that exists outside of capitalism. Um, but if that's going to be the case, I want it to be somehow dismantling capitalism as well, right? And also in theory, it should be better than capitalism. It's not always. Sometimes right, it's right. worse. Yeah, sometimes it's worse. Um, so, yeah. so, my, so my thing is, I think what it, what it comes down to for me is maybe it does have to do with my, my sort of um, medieval attachment to work as deed okay. or work as um, as something you do ultimately for others right um, you know there's a difference between doing what I love and having that love be for the benefit of others um, so maybe teaching um, it feels like a work it feels like a deed it feels like something that I'm doing for others right in a way that when I sit and I read and I write, and I even if I submit an article, I know it will only be viewed by a very, as you said, three philosophers, um, you know, whoever they are. Um, one, one, one of them, <laughs> one of them is, you know, and one of them will be my mother. Um, so, uh, you, you know, but there, I think Your that there. I'm, I'm training yes. her to be one, yes. Um, but uh, I think, I think that, that it, maybe that is what it is for me. I, I feel like when I get depressed <laughs> about my work, it's because I don't feel 
like it's benefiting something. Like I want, I want my work to matter. I want my work to be recognized as something that is helpful um, in a way that just doesn't happen enough in the academy, right? Um, I mean, it's it's great when you're when you get comments on a paper that are this is really brilliant. You should think about turning this into an article. Great, that's that's nice. I hang it on my fridge. You know, it makes me happy. But it's not the type of affirmation that comes with, you know, having value outside of yeah. yourself. Well, value is a word that keeps coming up and that uh, came up in both of your um, initial comments. And, and, you know, Gina, I think you're speaking right now to a strange, a kind of paradoxical desire, a desire on the one hand to have one's work valued generally. Mm -hmm. But then, Kim, as you're saying, um, the terms by which work is valued are so uh, limited and so caught up in a kind of commodity logic. Mm. I'm wondering if you maybe from either your teaching or your own research have examples of um, kind of concrete examples of those uh, utopian moments that we're um, I think trying to conceptualize. Are there moments when you have feel like there's been a uh, even a momentary breakthrough in some way. That you, you've performed a, a work in, in this sort of medieval sense that is somehow outside of the constraints of... of yeah, that you've managed yeah. to do something valuable and that appears valuable to someone outside of yourself, but it is valuable in, in slightly different terms than the terms that we're trying so hard to you know, avoid reducing our, our uh, work to. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have an answer to this? I'm struggling. So I kind of, I mean, my, my answer is kind of shit, but I'll give it an answer. So I kind of think that when, like, whenever I write, in order to, in order to write, um, like, academic stuff, for about as long as I've been writing academic essays, I like I need to um, not. I need to break the possibility of, of it, the value calculus away from what I'm doing. So like I can't write imagining an audience, which I know is a very weirdly inclusive gesture. <laughs> but like I, I like I don't write. I don't write something because I think it will get published. I imagine most of the shit I write will not be able to get published. I write weird, crazy shit. But I don't, like, I do it, like, I feel like in order to be able to write in the first place, I can't imagine the end goal. Like, I need to write without telos. Um, which is probably why I'm invested in this utopian notion. Because I, like, although the need to write is, of course, embedded in this logic of production anyways, but, like, the idea that you, like, it never motivates me to write something. Like, I've never managed to, like, revise a thing. I've also never had a professor tell me, oh, this is great, you should publish it, probably because my shit's really crazy. Um, but, like, you know, I never, I've never managed to go back and do that, make, gussying it up to make it look good. And I know I will have to one day, but, like, um, I think, for me, the work, in order to like 
spring into existence out of the fucking side of Zeus's leg like Medusa <laughs> needs to not be it's not Medusa it's Minerva uh, doesn't Wasn't matter. it out of his head? <laughs> oh, fuck, we're screwed. <laughs> not, we don't even know Greek classes. mythology. Uh, <laughs> what so do we do here, Tim? Listening to this podcast, we're sorry. Um, <laughs> I think in order to come into being in a way that feels like it's coming into being of its own volition, it needs. I need to separate it. Uh, I need to have a, you know, a suspension of disbelief and separate it from the capitalist logic. Of, work yeah and labor yeah um I love teaching yeah I think I think it for me it's I mean I I always say this and and I genuinely mean this I and I share this with my students that when I teach my own work gets better and by my own work I mean my own research um I think that there's just nothing comparable to the energy of the classroom and, and I, I think I quite literally get a high off of it. I love when students, when I can see things click in their in their minds. I, I love those moments. I love those moments when they te- when the, when they tell me I'm full of shit. Like when they <laughs> when they push back. I love that. Um, there's so you know. So for me, I think the value is in the communication. Um, and so for me, not teaching right now. I, I'm finding it very difficult to work in general. Um, and so I think that there's, and maybe that's, maybe that it is, you know, we're talking about this sort of isolated utopia of the academy, and perhaps that's where I think is depressed depression in that isolation, right? Um, and so I think that there's a real value to opening up that academy. Um, so you're saying, uh, paradoxically, the utopian moments occur in the moments that we've identified as most labor-like, that they're actually, like, in the, in the sort of the crux of the, like, the thing that we think is most exemplary of academic labor there, that we, you know, the, the utopian moment of, like, absolute uh, freedom from the constraints of capitalism appears, and yeah, that's really beautiful. Oh wow! Yeah, I guess that is what I'm saying. That's not, you know, I, and I, came, I totally hijacked your thing. I know. I, I, I came. No, I came into this like wanting to prove that research is work. You know that like yeah. that spending hours in the library. You know, you know, digging through manuscripts is work. Um, and yet, it's probably the most like unfun, depressing thing I do. So yeah, I mean. That's a really good yeah. point. Um, as long as I have one more question, um, as long as we're on the topic of teaching and students. Um, I was reading um, this essay uh, by Eula Biss uh, recently in her, she has this collection, No Man's Land, and she's teaching, um, she was teaching at uh, Iowa. Um, and it starts off as a kind of meditation on why she it despises um, really normy Midwestern undergrads and the culture that seems to prop them up, um, um, refusing to identify them as uh, dangerous and violent and small-minded and instead as the bearer and, and um, characterizes them instead as the bearers of tradition. And But the essay takes this really unexpected turn where she begins in kind of um, engaging with 
what she at first wants to cast is they're just ignorance, they're kind of willful ignorance. Um, she starts to, to pity them because she also understands that the university as a um, profit-making organization relies on, is dependent in fact on their exploitation. And so whereas she as a graduate student um, instructor sees herself in a kind of contentious relationship with the department, she eventually comes to realize like actually no, like there's a kind of broader exploitation um, here. Um, uh, these are students who are taking out significant debt, uh, and I think debt is kind of the, the major term of, of undergraduate life, even if it's unacknowledged. Um, maybe it's not um, undergraduates themselves, but their families. Um, so I'm wondering, um, where do our students fit into this discussion? Um, in some ways, we can't say that what they do is work, or it doesn't seem like what they do is work, because they're because we never dream of compensating them for it. Um, and yet, our salaries, as this essay points out, are dependent on their tuition. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. In part because it's hard to it, it has been hard for me to separate what I do now from what I did as an undergrad. Because I've, I've studied English my entire academic career, um, and I do a lot of the same things. I rely on a lot of the same thinkers, even. I was, you know, I was citing Bart in my undergrad thesis, and I'm citing him in my dissertation. <laughs> like, it's not all that different. Um, I've only recently come to a door now. Okay. So. Okay. Fine. <laughs> no, uh, but that is a that is a real question, um, and of course they're involved in a very different economic calculus in this scenario. Yeah, it's so weird that you bring them up because they, because I'm sort of treating them like my little products, you know. Like, I, I sort of mold them and shape them. I hope that that's not how they see me. But, you know, in, in some ways, right, as a, as a professor or as a teacher, you sort of think, oh, I mold minds and I open minds and I, you know, you sort of manipulate them in this creepy, now that I'm describing it, way. Um, but, but they do, but it, it is as if they are the product that you then put out send into out. the world, right, send out into the world. And yet they are paying for that experience of becoming a product. So does it make sense to think of them as an exploited workforce? Like, they don't make anything. But they produce value. Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm. well, um, but, but, okay, so this is making me think, do these terms even apply at all? Like, I mean, the, the sort of, but, but I mean, the, the Marxist, you know, capitalist terms that we're using, like, do they apply at all to this scenario? Or is it something, or is the industrial model of the academy different? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily good, but different. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. The, the problem with saying it's different is exactly like sort of the problem you identified at the beginning and also what Pat brought up about the um, sort of the academy looking outwards to similar forms of labor, right? It's that like we can't say different terms apply because they bleed so closely into the rest of the economy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the debt that these students acquire 
doesn't belong it doesn't belong within the university structure it belongs outside of it mm -hmm. right the, like the people they owe don't end up being NYU right mm -hmm. even though they're NYU undergrads they owe whatever financial right. institution gave them their loans right mm -hmm. right I don't know yeah I think you're right and I think that is that it, it's both it's both like it and so unique that it becomes, I think that's where the, the rub is. Yeah. Um, the, the either, you, either you completely separate it in the, into that utopia, as we were saying, or you figure out a way to better integrate it to solve the sort of problems that concern me, like wage gap, like um, you know, mental illness uh, amongst graduate students. So, um, so yeah, it, it, so there has to be a way to have a medium. Yeah, I think the solution is that the state should fucking just uh, pay for education. Yeah, yeah, just like nationalize all universities, and there should be no tuition. Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think I, I think our hours is about up. <laughs> So, signing off from the radical fifth floor office of the NYU <laughs> English Department, <laughs> this is Electric Text. And that's it for our podcast on work. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website, electrictext.net. That's electrictext, all one word, dot net. You can also reach us by email at electrictext at gmail.com. That's electrictext spelled with two X's, E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C, T-E-X-X-T at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we look forward to hearing from you. <laughs> Gosh, books really are amazing. Well, that's all for now. We'll catch you next time on the NYU English Graduate Student Podcast. The Electric Text was created by our cohort, Anna Moser, Berenger Ryu, Chad Hagelmeyer, David Sugarman, Owen Quinn, Gina Dominic, Kimberly Adams, Ruby Lowe, Penelope Myers, and Vignesh Sridharan. This episode includes the voices of Patrick Abatil, Gina Dominic, and Kimberly Adams. Kimberly Adams edits our audio and runs our website. Our theme music is composed by Owen Quinn. The Electric Text is supported by the English Department at NYU.